He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. E aku whakataitai ki te whenua e aku i horei nei rā te mehi kia tātou katoa. E tēnei wiki ka tuku atu te hōtaka hau o Mā Tangiraya. This week we feature an episode of the political legacy series Mā Tangiraya, Season 2. Nō ngā iwi o te taitokirau a Hone Harawera. He maha o na pōtai mō tōna ke iwi, hapū, meteao, tōrangapū. Hone Harawera joins Mikey Sherman for a candid kōrero about his political career, protest movements and why it's important to walk the talk. Happy are those who dream dreams and are prepared to pay the price to make those dreams come true. Hone, Pani, Tamati, Wakanene, Harawira Hau, Kioratato. I thought we might start with me running through a little bit of your resume. Leader, Hetawa, Auckland University. Leader and spokesperson, Waitangi Action Committee. Leader, Patu Squad, Springbok Tour. Organiser, Kotahitanga Hikoi, Tūranga Waiwai, Tu Waitangi. Member Ngā Tamatoa, supported Ngāti Whātua during Bastion Point occupation, founding member Kawariki and leader Foreshore and Seabed Hikoi. That is quite remarkable. And an old boy of St Stephen's. And an old boy of St Stephen's. Which makes it even more remarkable. I mean, those were never just me. They were always... Uh, uh, a collective of people, uh, a core of people and a, a collective and some really, really good people involved in that as well. So the Foreshore and Seabed March, there was something we, we organised from our end but uh, required the support of activists all around the country to make it happen. So it was never just me. Mm. You guys were quite the force. What was it like there with your mates on the front line of protests for Tinoranga Tiratanga? Well, in our younger days... I know this sounds mm, arrogant, but we were really bulletproof, eh? We could not be told we were wrong. We believed absolutely in what we did, which meant we got offside with a lot of people, including a lot of our own people, a lot of our own old people. But in those days, there was a demand for change, and we just were part of that. And we weren't, we weren't the ones who started it. I mean, we were just part of a of a changing of the guard in the world, I think. Indigenous people, people of colour, you know, the, the Black Panthers in, in the United States and the Polynesian Panthers here, the rise of the American Indian movement and the rise of Ngā Tamatoa, it was a changing of the world and we just happened to be a part of that, yeah. Tell me about, you know, where and when that fire in your belly began. You, you never really noticed it, but, but Mum brought us up that way. I never knew that until I, I talked to some of the old boys from St Stephen's. They tell me I was always like that, but I didn't know. I just thought that I was like everybody else, but clearly I wasn't. Yeah, so Mum was always very, very forthright in uh, her belief in Māori rights, our rights under the treaty, our rights to our lands. Mum was the person within our whānau who was the, the leader, and uh, it just became part of our role in life to continue. The St Stephen's experience added to that because I think when, when, when you're there, you grow up to believe that 
leadership is a natural part of your life, that uh, you're there because you are expected to play a role in the leadership of your people. And I think that and that historical political upbringing, knowing Sid and Hana and, and Mum, Tauda Eruira, all of those sorts of people from back in those days, yeah, they just, I guess, just came to pass. And then along came Hilda, of course. Of course. And uh, she uh, was way more political, way earlier than I was. I was still a, a boy out of St. Stephen's who really didn't know that much. Hilda, of course, was living that life in Otara at Hillary College, surrounded by some other very strong people, Marama Davidson's father, Rauri Paratin, and others. So, you know, when it became clear to me that uh, she was where I wanted to be, then um, it just made that, that move that much easier. Kia ora. You mentioned your mum yeah. uh, there. Etikana Kiamihiatuki Aya. She right. was a yeah. pioneer and a, and a trailblazer mm. for Tinoranga Tiratanga. But I'm interested to know about the relationship that you shared with her as mother and son. Oh, I'd like to tell you that I was her favourite son, but all my brothers will hear this and give me a hiding later. <laughs> she never treated any of us really like we were anything special. I actually, she treated us, here's how she treated us. My, my baby sister, or my niece, but my baby sister, came home from school and I saw her report, which had come back and gone back to school and been signed off and come back, that the teacher hadn't been that complimentary about how my sister was going at school. And my mum had written something in there which always reminded me that that's how she raised us. She wrote back to the teacher to say, be thankful for the opportunity to teach one of the best children you will ever meet. That's how mum used to treat us, you know what I mean? So... She was always there for us, always supporting us and what it was we were doing. And what about your father? What influence did he have on you as a young person? He was a really nice man, eh? a gentleman, my, my dad. He went away to the war. He lost a lung and he eventually developed emphysema and was on oxygen in his later days. But he raised us in a really, really nice way. He was always supportive of the things we did. Never, ever hit us. Nice man. And he passed away when you were just 21 years old? Yeah, about that year. I think 1976. How was that for your mum and for you as a young man still at that time? Uh, it wasn't, wasn't a major... In fact, it, I never really noticed it until later in my life that there, there was often times I would have liked to have, you know, talked to my dad about different things and he wasn't there. So I just thought that it was part of life. I missed him, I was sad, but I never really understood how much I missed him until later. Mm. After St Stephen's, Hone enrolled at Auckland University, developing a public profile for his activism. Firstly, as the leader of Hetaua, who confronted engineering students over their annual haka performance, and later as leader of the Patu Squad, opposing the 1981 Springbok Tour. And I want to talk to you about uh, some of those experiences, Patu Squad and the Springbok Tour. What was that like? Well, yeah, we were involved in the Springbok Tour, you know, from, from early on. We went along, used to long, go along to those heart meetings that they used to have at the TUC, Trade Union Centre. And right from before the tour started, I kind of knew that we would operate differently We'd go to those meetings and there was a lot of energy, a lot of fire, 
lot of passion, but a lot of Pākehs. And so they were seeing things as an anti-apartheid thing. For, for a lot of us in the room, we were fighting apartheid, but also using it as an opportunity to strike a blow against racism here in this country. And that's what it was for, for a lot of us. Our apartheid, our racism was right here at home. Harawira remained active throughout the 80s and 90s as a voice for Tinoranga Tiratanga, but it was the 2004 foreshore and seabed issue that saw Harawira pull on his marching boots again to lead a movement to national prominence. It was calls from all around the country, eh? You know, we've got to do something, we've got to do. And then I started hearing from brothers around the country that people were preparing to block the beaches which wasn't too bad, but then I started hearing words that they were going to uh, burn down Ministry of Fisheries buildings, that they were going to attack anybody came on the beaches. It became clear that things were going to get really quite ugly and we needed to be doing something. And then it wasn't us. I think Kahungunu and Tarawa talked about marching to, to Wellington. So a group of us met and as we talked through the options, that particular night it became clear to me we were marching. Everybody agreed, and so we announced that we were going to we were going to do it. I remember doing an interview, I think, with Shane Todima, and um, he saying to me, "So, how many people do you think will get to Wellington?" I said, "Well, I think if it's just me, Mangu, and my missus, I'll be kind of embarrassed. I said, if there's a couple of hundred, I'll be happy." And as as what happened, tens and tens of thousands. thousands. Yeah, absolutely. Had you ever seen that level of engagement from Māori over your years of protest? No, 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 not at all. And I think that was the fire that lit the Māori party. I knew then, on March the 6th, the very next day, I knew that day that there would be a Māori party, I would be the candidate for Taitukarau, and I would be going to Parliament September the 17th next year the following year. And that's exactly what happened. Harawira defeating Labour MP Dover Samuels in Te Tai Tokerau. While Labour held the Treasury benches, the Māori Party managed to take four of the seven Māori seats. So those first few years with the Māori Party, they must have been happy ones. They were great years. They were absolutely great years. Did you support going into coalition with National? And how much interaction did you have with them? Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> of course I did. Look, there was a, a big and deep discussion within the Māori Party, Māori Party leadership. We had to go back and talk to all of our people about the why, etc., etc., etc. I was as integral a part of those discussions as Tariana and Pete and Teurupa. It's not, you know, I don't hold them responsible for that. That was an us decision. The parting of the ways came because I felt that we were becoming a little too close to the National Party... I just felt that we were getting a little too close and we needed separation. We needed our people to see that we could have a relationship with anybody, but we would always be our own voice. And I felt that and I was starting to see too much influence from National in the decisions that we were making. In 2011, Harawira's relationship with his fellow Māori Party MPs became acrimonious after he gave an interview criticising their relationship with National. A complaint laid with the party's disciplinary committee was upheld and recommended Harawira's expulsion. Harawira quit. Do you ever regret, though, 
leaving the Māori Party? No, not for one second, not for one second. I think it was necessary. I think it was necessary for the Māori Party and I certainly think it was necessary for me. And so what then was it like to lead mana and to see mana grow? Well, here's the funny thing, eh? I, wasn't even, I wasn't even planning on starting mana. And then Matt McCartan comes to see me one day and he says to me, Hone, you don't want to serve out the rest of your political career sitting up in the back corner. No, I don't. That's what you will be remembered for as the man who got sat in the back corner until Parliament was over and then you were gone. He said, you need to resign from Parliament and relaunch yourself with a new movement true to the principles that you believe. I talked about that with, with Hilda and others and they, they understood instantly the importance of it. When you came back into Parliament in 2011 as the mana leader, what were your relationships like with the Māori Party MPs? Strained. I recall Labour gave me the opportunity when I came back into the House to speak to the Maccabill, Marine Areas and Coastal, whatever, whatever, bloody bill. And I was hugely critical of it. And I'm glad I was. And I know that that was hard on my Māori Party colleagues. Yeah, it meant a strained relationship for a period of time. And were you proud to be in Parliament, to be that voice for Te Pani Me Te Rawakore? There wasn't any other. There wasn't another voice. I mean, the Feed the Kids bill was, was the classic expression of that. Eh? You can talk major housing strategies, you can talk financial crises, you can talk anything you like. But at the start, if you as a society are not even good enough to feed your kids, then what are you really? What are you really? So seeing that as an opportunity to try and make that a political campaign was important to me. And even getting arrested in Glen Innes, you know, in GI, trying to stop those houses being taken away from the, from the whanau over there. You know, those, they're just part of that activist background. Eh? If you're going to say something, then do something. Don't just, don't, just, don't just be talking. We hear a lot about the argument it's better to be inside the tent than outside. How do you explain your position on that? Yeah, um, I, think, I think there's a role for inside. Uh, I think there's a role for outside. If I ever was to come back here, I'd come back exactly the same. I'd still be an activist. And I'd use this platform exactly the way I used it last time. Every Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, we'd cross the bridge and if I had something to say, the nation's media was here. And I'd say it. I'd use that, that platform every single time because you don't ever get that platform from anywhere else. You certainly used your platform, especially with the media, well. You used lots of colourful language at times yeah. as well. Racist bastard, yep. pricks, yep. white motherfuckers. Yep. Do you ever wish you had phrased it differently? Do you suppose anybody would have noticed? I suspect not. It got a lot of people really, really angry. Also got a lot of people really, really glad that, that I was saying it. So when you're in those positions, the media never has the time to sit and talk to you. Well, here we are, but it's 100 years later. But... At the time, they don't, they don't give you the opportunity to explain in depth your position. Knowing that, you understand what your soundbite time is, you focus your attention on capturing the public attention with that soundbite. And, and believe me, if every one of those words 
was applied with, chances are they may not notice. But some of Harawira's catchy sound bites came back to haunt him. During a private email exchange with consultant Buddy Mikaire, Harawira used an expletive to describe the furore over a side trip he took with his wife while on parliamentary business. Mikaire made the email public. Sometimes that language did get you into hot water when you were criticised for meeting up with your wife in Paris. As it happens, if I go back, if I go back, let's say you were my, my wife, and we were in Belgium, and I said, shit, I'm, we're never going to get here to back, to back this close again. Let's take the day off and go to Paris. You would have said, yeah, let's do it. And I'm glad I did it. Absolutely glad. I will never get to go to Paris again with my darling. So I'm glad I did it. I couldn't care less what the, what the email said. Uh, I had to pay $1,000 for the day off or something like that. Who cares? Mm. Who cares? I got to spend a day in Paris with my darling. Was it hoha or, or mamai for you that that moment for the two of you and for your darling was dragged into the media oh, like that? In the end, that's an understanding of what you and I know, which is that um, white media in this country is still run by white racist motherfuckers. I mean, somebody from Stuff said that just the other day. And, I mean, I said this, what, 10 or so years ago. Absolutely. That, that was my reality. That was my reality at best in our reality, at best in point, our reality, Springbok to our reality and all of those things, which is that the media is unlikely to be on your side. So you have to do other things to try to capture the imagination of those you're trying to reach. Mm. And throughout it all, mm. we spoke about your wife, Hilda. Yeah. And I want to talk about her because she has been a huge rock, solid yeah, yeah. support, yeah, yeah. aroha, everything yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about Hilda. Oh, all the women, all the women around the country know that to be true they, because they know Hilda. Her father's English. Her mother is Māori from Ngāti Hawa and Whangapē. And they were brought up to be independent, not to rely on others, to think for themselves, to be strong for themselves. And in, in different ways, they all lead in the fields in which they've ch- chosen to be involved. So she was already that way when I met her. Yeah, she's always been a very strong, very Māori, very Māori woman. And she's always provided that leadership in the political activities we've always been involved in together, always. The things we have done before we moved home from Otara. And all of the things that we've done since we've been home, she has been part and parcel of that whole journey. You know, she just comes through a quadruple bypass heart attack. She's back on the water. She's in the nationals for the W1s. She's out there hammering the water with her with her team. She's at home at the moment um, with the mokopunas. So, yeah, life is, life is wonderful. And I'm a lucky man. 2014, yeah. you decide to hook up with the internet party, Kim.com. Yeah. Why? A couple of reasons, um, but the main reason being, am I going to come back in here by myself or am I going to try and do something to change the game? And then I started thinking about what would be a game changer, doing a deal with the Māori Party or with the Greens or with somebody else is not what you call a game changer, just be tweaking things. So I thought... 
let's let's get out there. And then Kim.com came along, and his, his thing was about the internet party. So I met with him. I said, look, you have to know that whatever we do, nothing that I do for Mana will ever change. Uh, the principles that Mana was founded on uh, must stay the same. Uh, the policies of Mana won't change. So that was the basis of the relationship, and, and those things stayed. We ended up doing spectacularly well right up until about two or three weeks out. I think we're up about 3.6%. But then Kim.com, who we thought was going to step back and let uh, Layla lead the charge for the internet party right to the finish line, we expected a, a, a tailing off, but we didn't expect him to just keep going with what he wanted. In the end, he wouldn't let go. He kept going. He just wanted to attack uh, the government, John Key and them, I think, for what was a really ugly incident, them pouncing on his house and his whānau and all of that, using using the Americans. Um, but still, he wouldn't let that go, and that ended up with our collective party vote diving through the floor. So it was uh, ended up being death. Were you angry with Kim.com that he cost you that election? Oh, not angry, pissed off. Pissed off, but I mean, not angry. I mean, I remember the the, the very next morning after after I lost, Hilda waking me up at seven o'clock. Said, "Get up, get your paddle, we're going." And we are on the lake half an hour later, and she just up and down, keep paddling, keep on. She killed me. But I mean, that brought me back instantly to reality, which is, I have a whanau at home, I have a lake here. Those things will never change. So. I very quickly got over that, but a lot of others didn't. And that was kind of sad. But yeah, and then I decided to to get back into things at home. And so you're out of Parliament, yep. and then in 2016, a glimmer of hope, you sit down with the Māori Party for bacon and eggs. Oh, yeah. Oh, tuku, yeah, that's right, yeah. Oh, that was great. That did a lot, I think, to heal publicly the rift. You have to know this, and all of that time, I've always got on really, really well with uh, Māori Party people up and down the country, e- even when I was in Mana. I mean, I'd go, I'd go places and some queer, you know, then the Māori Party T-shirts would come over and clip my ears and then give me a big cuddle. You know, that relationship never, ever died because they knew that my heart was always Māori, always. Uh, the Mana movement was a way to express another part of who we were. But that that opportunity to try and uh, make something happen, I think it was 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 worth the effort. Absolutely, it was worth the effort. Did you leave it too late? Um, possibly. Could we have managed it better? Definitely. Was it worth a shot? Absolutely. Would you do it again? Well, I don't know that there's a need to anymore. I mean, I'm looking at the way in which the Māori Party ran their campaign, and an absolute red tsunami which just killed everybody it wiped, wiped out national as well the fact that <laughs> that cowboy from off the coast Rawiri Waititi could, could beat that, could survive you know, could get his head above the tsunami and win his seat was, was absolutely amazing and that was the power of their campaign campaign strategy individually doing what it, what it was that they felt was important to win but a really powerful strategy, good comms, good connection, good engagement with the rangatahi for the future. 
I thought they did that well. Is there a future for mana? I'm actually talking to uh, my mana crew at the moment about are you happy with where the Māori Party is going? Are we comfortable that that's the sorts of things that we'd want to be supporting? Because if there is a a, a demand to continue, I'm up for it, but I'm just as happy to support what is happening within the Māori Party right now. For Hone Harawera, sure. what do you hope will be your political legacy? Really that um, the activism that I was noted for before I came in uh, was the activism that I continued with while I was in and is the activism which is the basis of the things that I do even since then. And border control, all of those sorts of things, they are part and parcel of who I am. You know, if, if government isn't going to step up and protect our people during COVID, we'll do it ourselves. Those things are more important to me and always will be than uh, my parliamentary career. Activism and fighting for the rights of our people to tell to the poor. Tēnā korua, former Māori Party MP and Mana Party leader Hone Harawera with Mikey Sherman. Next week, Paula Bennett talks about her rise in politics and some of the more difficult moments she faced. I remember, Tainui, you have 554 of your babies in the state care. You know? <laughs> yeah, uh, and off I went down the list. And the room went quiet, and then I felt the hostility, and then I saw people moving, and I kept on going. And uh, I got to the end of it, and it was just, you know, you could hear a pin drop. Mā Tangirea is a Māori political legacy series. You can watch or listen to all the episodes on the podcast and series page at rnz.co.nz. A kātiake mō tēnei wā ko te manako ia kia pai tā koutou rā, tēnā tātou katoa.